This week on Excelsior Journeys, it's a very special episode for those who can't get enough of the extra features in your DVD and Blu-ray collection. Justin Beam is one of the most accomplished content creators out there, and he is responsible for providing some truly amazing and outside-the-box commentary tracks and retrospective featurettes. How good is he? He got Eric Freeman on board with a Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 Collector's Edition Blu-ray for Scream Factory. And if you're a fan, you know exactly how special that is. Justin is here to tell us all about working with Eric, preparing a commentary track for Harold and Maude with Cameron Crowe, and so much more. JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for And that's you, what the I moment? taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid, drawing stills Life of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than so die. He jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater with and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm sex. rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the corner. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. You know, yeah. throw some spaghetti yeah. against the wall. See this if it is sticks. George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in for over 100 episodes. Still can't believe how far we've gone. Now, by the time you hear this, it will be the first week of October, which means if you're anything like me, you're going through your video library to set up your Halloween playlist. And since you're like me, you also have on hand quite a few selections from Shout Factory and Scream Factory. In addition to releasing titles you didn't know you needed to add to your collection, they also cater to film lovers that appreciate everything that goes into making the movies in question, not just the movies themselves. I am such a sucker for special features on DVDs. So when I met Justin Beam on social media, I knew I'd found a kindred spirit because not only is he also a lover of all those special features, but he's taken part in making so many of them. His Reverend Entertainment creates content for Paramount Pictures, Shout Factory and Scream Factory, Anchor Bay, Vinegar Syndrome, Scorpion, Music Box Films, and other studios and distribution companies. I'm such a fan of studios that go above and beyond for their customers like this. And so I am indebted to Justin and his peers for providing so much material that gets required repeat viewing in my office. And he's going to be here right now to tell us all about his journey as a content creator. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you, Justin Beam. Justin, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, George. Thank you so much for having me on today. This is going to be fun. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I am, like I said, I am such a special features junkie when it comes to my own movie collection. Like there's, there are so many different movies that I have double dipped, in some cases triple dipped, just because like there's a brand new featurette or something. And if it's long enough, I'm definitely getting it. And uh, yeah, I've got quite a few of those. I can't even believe that I bought the Screen Factory version of Exorcist 2, which I'm, <laughs> I'm not a fan of the movie. But at the same time, it's just like actually watching it with all these, with the different special features, hearing the John Borman commentary, hearing the other commentaries that are there. I, it's like I'm learning new stuff about it and gaining like a, a weird appreciation for it i still can't recommend it but i can at least i can at least appreciate the the lengths that they went to to making it so different from that first one um, well i think that i think the making of any film is going to be fascinating there's always going to be yeah. stories there and that's what makes this what i'm lucky enough to be doing that that's what makes it such a sort of infinite gold mine is that yeah 
no matter how invested I am and how much I love or don't even know a movie that I've been hired to work on, I know it's mm -hmm. always going to be a fun journey to use your term to fi yeah. fi figuring out how the whole thing came together because none of this stuff happens easily and all right. of it happens with heart. Yeah, no one sets out to make a bad movie. That's one thing right. that's, that, that people really need to need to make sure of. Even when, when they're creating like B-movies or whatever, they're going for entertainment. They're going for laughs and they're going for making sure that you're sitting back and having a good time. So, yeah, and that's that's at the, at the core essence. Like that's some that's something that every movie wants to be. They want to be entertaining. So I am really, really fascinated with your latest project that was just announced because you got to sit in with a conversation with Cameron Crowe, writer-director Cameron Crowe, and screenwriter Larry Karaszewski on a commentary track for Harold and Maude. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, you bet. How, tell us a little bit about that. It was, there's, there's some great stories behind the production of this, of that whole thing, because I did this commentary and the other feature on this that I did is a new interview with Yusuf Cat Stevens from oh, where wow. he was, you know, he's in Dubai now. And so oh. it, we had to set it up through a remote crew setting and it was really interesting. But there's a great story behind the Cat Stevens side of things that I yeah. can't tell until another release is announced because it'll give away someone who's participating in something else. But there's oh. a wild story associated with that. But the thing with Larry and Cameron. Cameron wrote the liner notes to the Criterion Blu-ray that came out some years ago. And no kidding. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So he's a, a lifelong devotee, as is Larry. It turns out that not only are they friends, but also yeah. they both are, are very, very passionate fans of Harold and Maude and credit the film largely for being a cornerstone for them early on in jumpstarting their interest in film at all. So what yeah. was neat about it is that Larry can speak to the film. I mean, they can, of course, both speak to the film world, but yeah. Larry's deep roots in cinema and Cameron's deep roots in music were mm -hmm. there. That's, that's the perfect, they, they complement each other perfectly with a movie like Harold and Maude that is equal parts film, equal parts music because of yeah. how integral Cat Stevens songs are to that picture. And so oh, it became, yeah. oh, it was such a fascinating conversation and it was so funny how, Larry was a little nervous and wanting, it was, yeah, I mean, they were both so charming and so great on the thing. It just worked out perfectly. And, and just sitting there basking in it as it's happening, it, just one of those pinch me moments for real. So having Cameron and Larry there and, do, and doing this, were you acting as a moderator or did you just kind of set up the whole thing and just let them go? got I mean essentially it was just setting it up and letting them go I was there in case there were any issues so mm -hmm. I was kind of the silent participant in the room uh, I was miked for us all to be able to hear each other in case anything came up but it, I mean once we got them rolling we talked yeah. through a few things before we hit record and then from there it was just those two guys just hitting the biggest home run it was great oh wow wow and is there any is there any sort of like uh, archival footage with Hal Ashby or anything like that we didn't find any archival stuff. I mean, really Paramount didn't have a huge hand in the production of that film. So we honestly didn't have a lot of behind the scenes material available on that one. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, many Paramount titles we've been very, very fortunate with like Ragtime, which also yeah. I had, I had Larry involved with, but we found oh, nice. a mountain of, of cut scenes, alternate takes and things like that, that 
wow like Milos Forman had been has sort of regret you know looking back with regret on the fact that another producer who was involved with ragtime made some pretty hefty cuts to it in the end and there was this whole mm. sequence on emma goldman and all the rest of this that Milos in his book always said that he mourned the loss of because he he thought that the film was ultimately kind of incomplete the way that it was released and we're honored mm-hmm. now not to switch titles on you here but no, with ragtime to your question about archival things with ragtime we're lucky enough to be releasing the this theatrical version as well as the the foreman intended longer work print version is on that same disc so it's happened a few times where we just run into a wonder of new material or unseen material in the archives and that's always so exciting when it happens oh yeah it's just like it's it's basically like what you're doing is you're making that director's dream come true by seeing their full vision realized something like that like that's that's pretty incredible that you're able to do that yeah, I've always thought of this stuff as just preserving history because I find, yeah. like I said earlier about every movie has stories behind it. I really think everyone has stories behind them. I find everyone infinitely fascinating. And yeah. I love having conversations like I, what you do is so up my alley when it comes mm-hmm. to just in, endless intrigue in the stories of people and how they got to where they are, what they, yeah. where they felt they misstepped or whatever it might be. And mm-hmm. So oftentimes with these things, if we, the director might not even be with us anymore, but I've I've always felt that it's very important to put every ounce of effort into accumulating as much as you can for each one of these things, budget be damned. And I've certainly run into the red a number of times just because I didn't want to put the brakes on it, understanding that this might be the last time that these people ever get a chance to be interviewed or something. So I just keep bringing people in when I can. And it's such Mm -hmm. a delight. Yeah, yeah, and it really, yeah, it really is a shame that uh, that there were movies like Harold and Maude that just weren't appreciated in its time, and therefore, like, so much extra material was just kind of left to deteriorate. That's that's that that breaks my heart when I hear about stuff like that. Yeah, but it's so richly loved. It's one of those things that many of the things that take the longest to, I guess you could say, marinate to. Yeah. Uh, public acceptance of flavor however you want to say that many of these things many of these things are the things that we end up treasuring the most and i think it's because they have a long lifeline they're not based on anything trend driven they're not yeah. uh, not that, that that's not to say that trend can't create or promote great art i'm not saying that at all i'm just saying yeah. that a lot of the things that sit off to the side initially and take time to be discovered they end up being richer for the people who do discover them and i think the journey is a big part of that Oh yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, I, I, tr- I truly love like all of these, all these discs that, that show so much extra that goes into making a movie. So many people just think that y- you shoot once and it's done and that's it. It's not like that at all. Like you said, every, every, every movie has a story behind it. And so I so appreciative of of people like you that are, that are making a point to get those stories out there. Cause that's just as important as the movie itself, if not more. Well, I think that there's a generation now too that has been able to grow up luckily on DVDs and Blu-rays. They yeah. have special features. I remember when, I mean, I was never a laser disc. I was never exposed to laser discs until like long after it was dead. But yeah, I remember how exciting it was when Anchor Bay started putting some second cassettes in there with a commentary yeah. or something. 
You know, I still have my Halloween one. I still have my Halloween. <laughs> oh yeah. One. Yep. Is that the yep. one with the keychain in it? I don't think it was. I don't. I don't remember with if there the was a keychain in there. There was the orange tapes. Yeah. And yep. with the the limited edition number on the back yep. and everything. Yeah. I still got my. Still got mine. Well, that was and a big that was deal. A, yeah. Yeah. And that 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 time too. Yeah. That was like around that time where there was like this weird transition that was going on where both VHS and Blu-rays and DVDs were kind of like almost like passing in the night. Like they yeah. still had those, they, they started like loading up those, those special features on there, but they can only get so much with those right. tapes. As soon as the DVDs come out, it was just like, Oh, we can add this, 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 and this. And just the possibilities became endless. And it was just so much fun to revisit those sort of things. So, so for you, let's go back to the very beginning of all of this, because I always have on here, I, I have my guests talk about what I call the lightning bolt moment. And that's the moment where you realize when you watch something or hear something or, or meet someone, experience something that just makes you say, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of person I want to be. What was that for you to get into this wonderful world of content creation? Hmm. My story is, I, I'm sure like most people's that you've chatted with, it's a meandering. It, it would appear, I mean, it, it is, it's just a series of very fortunate occurrences and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, intersections and things like that. I, I early on was into writing when I was a kid and mm-hmm. music and those two things led me into a lot of brave adventures when I was younger and including then I started writing for some regional newspapers and then some music magazines and then it became film magazines and it was really through those early those early interviews for like Fangoria for example many years ago Mm -hmm. where I really started to I mean hearing these people talk about what they've created with such substance and passion where Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in LA. I I grew up in Iowa and I, that's, it's, it's movies are a very different thing. Entertainment's a very different thing to people in different places, different regions. And Los Angeles handles it very differently. All my friends from LA kind of grow up in that scene. They tend to understand the gravity and the, what it takes to make these things happen, the magic of it. And so I, I really was getting exposed to that from a young age when I was a kid reading famous monsters and, Fangoria. And I was endlessly fascinated with those. But it really, I mean, the the first time I met John Carpenter, the first time I talked to John Carpenter, I I found him at that time, he was so forthcoming and Mm -hmm. open about everything. And and he gave me some great advice and was a tremendous interview. So Mm -hmm. he, he was an early bar setter for me in terms of a a great example. When I look back to when I was a kid, my the first person that I can point to who took entertainment seriously, who, mm-hmm. who made more out of it than just something you listen to in the car was my uncle, my uncle, Rudy, he was the accordion King of Wisconsin and he played, wow. he played polka events and weddings. And he, every weekend, just about, he was schlepping his gear in his car and mm-hmm. hitting the road with his little band. And, we're making recording albums. He had tapes that he could sell. And I had those sitting alongside my Elvis and Buddy Holly cassettes and my tape collection and nice. going to see him and fiddle around with his PA equipment and tap around on the drum set that he had in his basement. That was so, I mean, I know that ultimately doesn't say film, 
but it it really educated me that it was okay to really explore and invest in something like art in something that is that is organic of me instead of just trying to figure out what my job was going to be someday like what degree do i need it was more like i and and i found such richness in that investment that Mm -hmm. it it just kept growing in weird sort of obtuse not obvious ways over time and and that's that's where i am i mean that's a very long-winded way to say i think it would be my uncle and everything that he did with music that really was my first lesson in doing something more with this. Yeah. It's basically just kind of giving you a look behind the scenes because it's so many people just see like him performing on that stage, but then there's everything that goes into it. And there's the, the right, the writing of the songs and getting the, getting the right equipment and everything. And then just, and then moving it from place to place like that. That's, that's definitely uh, one hell of an education right there for something like this. That makes total sense. I honestly, prior to this discussion, had never considered this. I, I mean, he was always important to my life, but I had never really drawn the the line directly to what this meant to me. But I think you're exactly right. I think that that, that bred in me a fascination in the process as much as the end result. And that yeah. is very much what I've invested the rest of my life in, whether it was in the magazines or with the, the documentaries and all this commentary and all, all these things. It's all helping people tell their stories. The way I always describe it to people, when they are like, what do you do? I say, well, in a way, if you just imagine, I show up, I build the stage, I turn the lights on, I make sure the microphone's on, and then I mm-hmm. walk away into the shadows and I record everything and say, now's the moment for you, kind of a thing. Yeah. Set yeah. the stage and just let them have the platform. Because so mm-hmm. few people have the chance to really tell their stories. And it's just really exciting for me to help people be able to tell theirs. And here you are telling yours on this platform. So I am just real. I am just very grateful to have you here you know, to talk about this. So that's I. Yeah, it's it reminds me a lot of what of what Paul Heyman once said at the beginning of his disc, which has been like a, a repeat viewing for me because I was thinking very much in the same vein as him, someone who always wanted to kind of be on the inside and someone who was fascinated more with what went into making something happen rather than just the actual happening. Yeah. So it sounds yeah. like, sounds like you're in that same, um, of that same mindset, which I think well, is fabulous. And, yeah. Well, and look at what Paul was able to do. And I know that there were, I, I assume we're talking about the same Paul Heyman from wrestling. Oh correct? yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, while ECW certainly had its issues over time and had to be helped by WWE and whatnot. I mean, he's, he saw something and he built it and, yeah. and, and, and he's a guy who also continues to reinvent himself and keep himself relevant. He built a brand mm-hmm. in himself and which yeah. is one of the smartest things that anyone can do, because if you tether yourself to someone else's money, I mean, mm-hmm. which ultimately in a way, I guess you could say wrestlers do, but if you, I just think it's vital for people who want to endure and what they're doing to make sure that they're investing in themselves and their and uh, thinking bigger picture than just sort of the next step. And, right. and Paul always 
I'm sure his book has to, or his disc, whatever you're talking about there has to be fascinating because oh, yeah. of all that, yeah. all that he's been a part of. It's just incredible, man. This, I mean, so many companies, so many sides of the business. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the Blu-ray that I'm, that I'm talking about is it's called ladies and gentlemen, my name is Paul Heyman. And it's a WWE produced documentary. That's going, it goes almost two hours. Uh, that talk, talking about how he grew, how he grew up, and suddenly turned on the turned the dial, and there is Vince McMahon interviewing superstar Billy Graham, and becoming like so fascinated with the with Billy's persona and how he was able to just kind of reach out and grab people, and then getting into that whole business and his first hustle that got him behind the scenes. Like, hey, it's, I don't want to spoil it, but it's fascinating the way that he built literally built himself in up into this position that he eventually be, is in now. So highly, highly recommended viewing. It might be on Peacock. I'm not sure, but it's, but it's definitely recommended. So get, so getting back to you with the, when it comes to this, this, all this as a content creator, what was the first one that you got to work on? Oh, oh it was the, so Again, on my these crazy roads that I've traveled here, I ended up as a vice president for Trankus International Films, which is the parent company Whoa. of Halloween. Okay, and all right, hold on one second. <laughs> you can't just walk away and just like oh, I was VP of Trankus <laughs> International. No, 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 no. <laughs> all right, what the hell led to that? <laughs> well, actually, it was Fangoria. I, wow. I, I was, I was doing. I, I had pitched to Fango a, a piece on the Halloween four through six story arc. And nice. I interviewed, and so for that, I was interviewing Malik Akkad and mm-hmm. he and I just hit it off big time. And then we ended up co-founding a nonprofit together. And then I was wow. I worked for the company for a number of years, but in the midst of that were the first Blu-rays of Halloween four and five, which are the first two discs oh, that I ever nice. produced. And yeah. so for part four, I'm on commentary. I got to, director Dwight Little, which mm-hmm. he had never done that before. And then on five, I got Don Shanks. So the first Michael Myers commentary is on part five with Don. And oh, wow. who also who also had just served at the time as stunt coordinator on my friend's film called Night Nightlight, which is a Scott Beck and Brian Woods who went on to write A Quiet Place. And they oh, also wow. wrote and di- they wrote and directed Haunt, which I just produced this big Blu-ray set on last year. So I, anyway, I got to give them a shout out on this commentary with Don Shanks, but it all began with Halloween four and five. And then that led to Michael Felsher of Red Shirt Pictures, who has been yeah. doing special features for a long time, a total mm-hmm. icon. Red Shirt puts out some great work. Oh, and they've been doing it forever. Yeah. I mean, he he's the contemporary godfather is what I always refer to him as. And nice. we've we've worked together on a few things over time, but he he brought me in early on as on uh, Town That Dreaded Sundown to oh, put a commentary remake, track right? together. No, the original. Oh, nice, and, nice. And, and so I, I got, uh, I was trying to think of a creative way to go about that commentary. And I, so I got a case historian, because that movie blends reality with nonfiction or uh, fiction. So, yep. so there's a real case, this really happened. And so I mm-hmm. figured it would be cool to have a case historian. So I found this gentleman, James Presley, who, worked for the newspaper at the time when it was happening. His dad was a sheriff actually, and they a deputy or something like that. But anyway, he was in the middle of writing a book about this whole case at the time. So I got James on the track. So I'm speaking to the cinema side of things. He's speaking to the true side of like the case itself, which was really oh, cool. Nice. But, 
but that was an early one. And then from there, it went on to like doing some stuff for Michael on Prince of Darkness. I interviewed Alice Cooper and John Carpenter. And then, and then from there, I sort of just, um, shout started calling me in to do my own stuff. So. That's fabulous. And I love the fact that you had, you had someone actually like involved with the real case with the town of dreaded sundown and it gives it like, and then you throw in how the remake set it up. So that way the remake is playing the original as like acknowledging that it was a movie. It's just like, that's so it's so meta. It's like opening up like one, like, russian doll after another you know that's that's wild that's so cool that you that you were able to do that so what i mean i i'm like my head is just like swimming with all this out of so the commentaries that you worked on for halloween four and five did they make it over i think they made it over to the 15 disc collection correct yeah they're on the 15 they're on the new 4ks yeah they'll they'll i'm sure be a permanent fixture on those which is really cool awesome yeah i i could i made a point to get that 15 disc set. I'm so glad that I have that. Oh, it's um, great. So I'll, oh, it's fantastic. Fantastic. And of course, constantly going back to those featurettes and, and everything. That was the first thing that I did when I opened up the producer's yeah. cut one for six. And uh, oh, yeah. so, so much fun. So much fun was, so it sounds like it almost seems like one after another, like you're, you're, you're meeting like so many amazing people as, so with that in mind, Who's on the bucket list that you haven't gotten yet? I just had actually a, a bucket list moment, which yeah. it's kind of hard to land to lay out expectations for this kind of thing because you just never know what the next film's going to be or the next yeah. like. And, and and so some things work out, some things don't. I was supposed to interview. I was set up actually probably like nine years ago to interview Kurt Russell for Fangoria. And I was going to do this career retrospective thing. And I'm just such a huge fan of his. And it didn't end up working out. He got hired for a film and then didn't have the time. So I sort of disappeared. And then I was, when I, we were working on Escape from LA for Shop Factory. I tried to get him involved for that. And he was busy, too busy for that as well. And so (sighs) it's like Kurt and I just kept being ships in the night in a way until breakdown came around for paramount as part of the paramount presents line this is one of those titles that i didn't have breaks on when i got hired for it and and it it was such a such an honor to be part of i mean such an amazing movie and working very closely with director jonathan mostow on the whole process Uh, he's just a brilliant creator and anyway this thing finally happened with kurt that i got him in the room i got him uh, commentary with kurt and jonathan mostow which everyone loves kurt russell's commentaries right and oh yeah yeah so I, so for it to I happen if, that way was perfect i think if i remember the john carpenter kurt russell one in big trouble in little china oh where they're so just good. like talking about captain ron <laughs> yeah oh yeah well, that, and that's what they always do that's that, yeah. and that's what i really wanted to do is get them back together for escape from la but mm-hmm. it just didn't end up working out at that time I never say never but anyway that was right. like a total bucket list thing the day that kurt walked in the studio it was like from the security people out at the gate it's like all right he's here kurt's on the kurt's on the lot it was like a it was a real moment of triumph and and joy not triumph as much as joy just like okay kurt's here this is actually going to happen yeah and then it was in a a really wonderful commentary track on that so i mean it's so cool in terms of who's left nicholas cage is one that i would love to do something with at some point yeah i just did something with 
that was on the list. Whoa. Wow. And I, I mean, that's, I, I, I can't really think, I mean, a lot of my heroes are gone. I would love to have met Buck Flower of all people. I'm, I'm such a huge fan of George Buck Flower, who was in so many things and unfortunately oh, he, missed he the opportunity. In, uh, he was in They Live, right? Oh, he's in so much, man. He, yeah. He, he's one of those faces that you just, he's in, as he's soon in, as you uh, see it, yeah. Yeah, he's in cheerleader camp. He's in body bags. He's in I, it, the, the list goes on and on. But he had a real wild life, and I, I know a a kid. Well, he was a kid when Buck knew him. But Buck Flower and uh, I don't want bore you with the story. But it's, no, that's all right. <laughs> the, 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 the guy has such a colorful life, and and he's yeah. one that I that I wish I would have had the opportunity to to interview. I just did Rick Baker was on my list, and I just did a a huge big thing with him, a commentary for King Kong 76, which was incredible. Wow. Nice. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just, everyone I talk to though is, is, and I'm not saying this to give an easy answer, but really, man, yeah. I, one of my, the most rewarding tracks I ever did is with the animal trainers, the rat trainers on Willard. The, oh, wow. The, the Crispin Glover Willard. I, yeah. When I was approaching that, I was trying to find, you know, an alternate angle, something unusual yeah. about this. I'm like, well, there's there's really two stars of the film. There's Crispin and there, there's the rats. And mm -hmm. the rats, of course, can't do much speaking for themselves. And so <laughs> I reach out to the animal trainers and they're like, you want to do what now? And I yeah. couldn't believe these people had been doing, I mean, both of them had hundreds of credits. You name it, yeah. every big motion picture, Pirates of the Caribbean movies, back to whatever. I mean, Involving animals, they were there. They had never been asked to do an interview or a commentary before. Neither of them. Oh, man. And so it oh, was such a treat man. to have yeah. them come in the studio with just wide eyes this far into their careers and mm -hmm. be a little nervous about like, oh, what, I, I don't want to talk too much. I'm like, oh, well, you're here to talk. You no, know, people want to, people are going to want to hear it. And it turned right. out to be such a wonderful track that was just wall to wall stories about all kinds of productions. For not just Willard, of course, a lot of Willard talk, but really just yeah. about animal treatments. And I'm a vegetarian, very passionate animal, compassionate friend. And so it was just an amazing experience. So my bucket list isn't a bunch of celebrities. My bucket list is like, I want to talk to the animal trainers on alligator someday. I want to, oh, whatever. You know what I mean? That's what <laughs> yeah, I want to do. That's, and that's so thinking outside the box. Like that is exactly the sort of stuff that fans like me, like would, absolutely eat up if not like having the if not being the only commentary track on there but like having a separate one whatever like having those kinds of conversations with those people that are responsible for so much like yeah. that's that's so that's so above and beyond like that's 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 shout factory right there that's scream factory right there the fact that that they they greenlit whichever which was it what was it uh shout or screen that distributed that one yeah willard was through shout factory yeah and then that's the thing with them that cliff and jeff that's their scream factory and they yeah. really they put they entrust the producers that work with them mm -hmm. they put so much trust and value in the people that they are hiring for these things it's just it's, it's incredible. It's, it's humbling. And also it's this great freedom because yeah. I don't have to, I mean, literally I get hired for something. I guess I can't speak for everyone's process. I don't know how this necessarily like, for sure works with, all, with the other producers they team up with. But for me, 
I get hired for something and then I just start going for it. And yeah. then I, and then I send updates along the way. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, Hey, where are you at this week? And here's the list of people I've already interviewed. Here's who I have in queue. Here's what this crazy thing I'm working on. And mm-hmm. I, I have never once had them stop me on any of these. They've never said rat trainers or like, on, <laughs> I just, I just finished working on killer party, which is okay, one of my yeah. favorite, like sort of under celebrated eighties slashery movies. Yeah. And, and I, I swore years ago mm-hmm. as, as a fan that's been toting that VHS around forever. I swore if I ever got to work on killer party, do you yeah. that movie? And let me ask, let me preface this by asking. I, that's one that, that got by very familiar with the name of it, but I never really got into you know, like the meat of it. So, so yeah, it, it was but, one uh, of those that was kind of omnipresent in video stores. If you, when you yeah. see the cover art, you'd be like, Oh, that one, but it's mm-hmm. maybe because it was so common. Maybe that's why some people didn't catch it, but it's a unique little thing that is, it has a triple twist intro. So it starts really? off as, yeah, it starts off as a, a, a movie that you realize is, actually a music video and then the music video feeds into the other movie that is completely unrelated to everything that came before so wow it's crazy so it starts off with these kids at a drive-in and the girl Mm -hmm. walks into the concession stand it's empty she's getting oh i can get some free popcorn and she kind of tiptoes out wondering what's going on she gets back out to her car and finds that it's everyone's zombies everyone's dead and then this music video kicks in with this great band. And, and, and this is to the point of my story. Yeah. This great band called White Sister does a song mm-hmm. called April because the movie was originally called April Fools or April Fools Day. Yeah. And they wrote this song just sort of on the name and this. So they did this. And, and what's surprising about it and rare in cinema is that you don't just get a, a little bit of a song and it moves on. You get an entire yeah. song, an entire music video that takes place oh, in wow. this concession stand and this drive-in with zombies and fire. <laughs> and these guys are doing high kicks and they're, they've got spandex and whatever else. It's amazing. And nice. I always, swore, always George. I said, if I ever get to work on this thing, I'm going to spotlight those guys because they killed it to open yeah. this film. And they're one of a kind in cinema history. And so mm-hmm. when I got hired for it, the very first thing I set about doing was finding the two surviving members of white sister, both of which were absolutely incredible. And both of which sent me swag and stuff too, like original guitar picks and stickers and table cards. Whoa. One sent me a shirt. They're so sweet. Oh, and to that's tell their so story. so cool. Yeah. What, because it turns out that they were right there hand in hand with Rat and Guns N' Roses mm-hmm. and, and all the other Sunset bands, Motley Crue, back when they yeah. were coming to their own. And these guys were actually some pioneers in that time, that, but, but they just didn't last all that long so not a lot of people know who they are but their yeah. story is fascinating and it's really neat to hear about these guys showing up into tr- being flown up to toronto to shoot this movie and being in such a foreign environment their mm-hmm. stories this is one of the greatest one of the examples i'm talking about like the the animal trainers or like james presley on yeah i mean the these guys their, their story would be missing from this right i mean I, I, this film would not be complete on disc if they weren't on there so for forgive my rambling but i mean no no dude happened. this is what it's all about this is what <laughs> this is all about i mean like what the sort the sort of things that you do those stories that's exactly what film fans 
like me, like all the others that that buy these these discs, that's what they want. They want to get as involved in the process as possible, and that's that's just amazing. The fact that you went went that far. That was Killer Party. Was that like mid eighties or like beginning? Yeah, of the 80s? it it was it was mid eighties. And okay, so, so it, it was so it was doing like its homage to Thriller, then with that with that music video. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. Okay. You could say that. Yeah. Yep. I think like just kind of thinking back, I'm thinking I was thinking to myself like which what there had to have been like one for me, and I've never even even get this given this much thought. And I think it was two things. It was the from Star Wars to Jedi feature that uh, Mark Hamill narrated and that went through that came out like around the same time that. Return of the Jedi came out, spoiled the hell of a lot of the movie, <laughs> and uh, but not not enough, not quite enough, and everything. So we just we knew that Vader would get his helmet taken off. We just wouldn't, didn't know what he looked like. So yeah, yeah, but and and then the making of Thriller that came out right after oh, the year of the video, like that was that's great stuff. That was great stuff, and I think that was really what kind of got me interested in wanting to know more about how these things get put together. So. I've seen seeing your your website. You got some great titles up there. I've I saw Deadly Friend there, saw Killer Party there, I saw Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two, so that everyone can say Garbage Day as much as they want. You know, oh, right. there's more. Yeah, no, oh, no, no. no. You, you got a, You got a Silent Night, Deadly Night Two story. Well, I so I did parts one and two, the discs for both, yeah. and I did documentaries on both of them. And nice. the first one grew out of the this again springs from Trankus time where I got Halloween back in theaters in 2010, 2012. And I remember that. Yeah. And got it. And that, that was like the first time. And I don't think it's left theaters in October since then, which is great. And wow. the, and that led to the following year, the same distributor or a couple of years later, a distributor wanting me to help them out with silent night, deadly night, putting that mm-hmm. back in theaters. And so I did that and I, became friends with the producers, the, the guy, well, writer and producer. And, mm-hmm. and then once their deal with Anchor Bay was, they didn't really know what to do. And so they're like, they called me up and this is like two years after we had done the theatrical thing. And they said, mm-hmm. we don't know where to take this. We just need to, we're not really, we're, we're looking for new opportunities. We're looking for a different yeah. kind of relationship than what we have right now. And so I took it to Shop Factory and of course they were elated and right. that, and that documentary turned out wonderfully, and and that led into a couple of years later, a year later, doing part two. Mm-hmm. Now, the the one that I said is a good story is, if nothing else, a nice story, is that part two is really dismissed. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people write that off as lazy filmmaking. They say, well, half of the movie is the first movie, right? And, yeah, a lot of flashbacks. Yeah, yeah, and what I discovered in approaching it and starting to interview everyone, especially like director Lee Harry, mm-hmm. is that he was really handed an impossible assignment. This, the producer had come into ownership of the rights to Simon and Deadly Night, and he handed it to, to Lee, who was an editor for him. And he said, recut this, get rid of the blood and stuff, and let's try to make it a different movie. Get rid of the and blood? Get rid of the blood. And he said, let's wow. try to make it a different movie. And Lee's like, what? That... So he thought about it a couple of days and he went back and said, well, what if we just shoot, 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 give me a couple of days and we shoot it, we shoot some new stuff. And then we use these to flesh out the rest of the story. I mean, we're kind of getting a movie out of, it, it could be much more than what the original concept was. So yeah. Lee was given permission with that. 
with this impossible mission to make a new movie out of an old one. And he ended up putting so much heart into it. And my goal with that documentary was to really try to validate to people the, the passion. And to, to the point at the very beginning of our discussion tonight, no one tries to make a bad movie. Yeah. Lee didn't set out to make a, a bad movie. He didn't want it to necessarily be defined by Garbage Day, although that's kind of a gift to everyone that was involved. He yeah. set out to make a movie. And what mm -hmm. I found in my discussion with him was that he's been making movies since he was a kid. And so we were talking about, he's like, yeah, when I was a kid in the backyard with my brother and we'd have this little Super 8 camera and we'd be doing, like, I'm shooting him with a, an arrow and then we would have fake blood spurting. And he said, I used to play around <laughs> with stop motion animation too and all this. And I was just, wow. I mean, so by the time he got to Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, he had been cutting trailers for a long time. And now he's continued to do many of the biggest trailers. No one really yeah. knows about the editors and the people behind them, but he's definitely like a big name in that realm now Ooh. and so he he made this movie with really invested effort thorough storyboarding he went to the locations and pre-planned shots and angles and he knew he had to maximize what little time he had and what little money he had and mm -hmm. in the end it's an ambitious thing it has i mean so many locations in it it has yeah. rain effects it has an electrocution it has mm -hmm. all kinds of squib stuff. It has that wicked car crash that almost killed the stuntman who was next to it. It's, it's, it's like, it's a wildly ambitious half a movie. Yeah. And so after I talked, got done talking with Lee at the interview, I hit him up while I was editing. And I said, is there any chance any of that footage from when you were a kid exists? And he's mm. like, oh, I don't, he's like, oh, I don't, I, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. And then a few hours later, he's, he's like, I'm in my mom's attic. I found a box. Nice. There's some reels in it. I'm like, what? And because he has the equipment, he's like, let me see what I can do with it. And yeah. then a couple hours later, these little clips start to show up in my email. Oh, and I open them up. Nice. And it's exactly what he had described to me like three weeks prior, where he gets shot with the arrow and the blood spurts. And, and so <sighs> at the beginning of the documentary on Silent Night 2, it starts out with the sound of a Super 8 camera. And then it starts off with over black screen leasing. I've always been making movies since I was a kid. And the first thing you're seeing is him and his brother in the backyard. And then he says, this is what I've loved all my life. And this is what I will always love for the rest of my life. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And Dude, that is beautiful. Yeah. And then it leads that into this beautiful. incredible story. And then that's yeah. paired with that that's coupled with so that was my way to sort of like validate from the outset right to get people yeah. on the same path as like with lee just yeah. be with lee but then yeah. the other entity in this whole thing is eric freeman and right. eric freeman had been missing for a long time in fact my friend scott uh, mm -hmm. perlman was making it in fact he's in, hasn't finished it yet a documentary called finding freeman because yeah. there there became this online movement to try to figure out where eric was right and I anyway that. yeah yeah and it was justin powell piz owl who helped me get in touch with eric and he and and it, eric really had been oblivious to the whole silent night deadly night thing too until just recently at the point really? where we made this yeah and he so i got to do this interview with him he even wrote a script for a sequel to silent night 2 and we even shot a little short teaser for that on the same day that we did his interview it was it's wild yeah so i wow. tried to i had ricky's outfit like find the matching shoes the right shirt yeah. 
the right pants and everything and get him back. And then directing him as Ricky and that was just wild. It's like a little five minute thing, but he wrote it front to back and it was all his concept. It's so cool. But there's this moment at the end of this, and this is where this rambling story will end, is, is that <laughs> I, I'm, I'm talking with Eric about Silent Night 2. We go through the process of the filmmaking about him. He, he left Hollywood. He made a few more movies, and then he left Hollywood, and he was like doing house restoration and painting and wow. building cabinets and things like that. Yeah. And he Just really completely had, off the grid. Yeah. Off the grid, 100%. And he had literally no idea that there was any kind of cult following or even interest in Silent Night 2. It's something he sort of assumed was just in the past. Yeah. And the last question that I asked him, and this is something that I always ask everyone, and it doesn't always elicit great responses, but in two cases I'll tell you about here, the first being Eric, it, it, it's two of the most precious moments that I've ever been in the room for. Yeah. At the end of this big discussion, we had already shot the shorts. We had done commentary the day before. It was an exhausting couple of days for Eric. Yeah. And the last question I asked him, I said, what, what is your relationship like with Silent Night, Deadly Night 2? And he paused for a second and he goes, I get it. I get it. He said, I look up at the screen. I wish it was someone else. I wish it wasn't me up there because I'm so hard on myself about things, but I, I've learned so much in the last couple of years and I'm so honored that the fans reach out the way they do. And he says, I get it. And I, I get it. And then he sort of, he sort of stares off sort of a point on the, maybe the floor across the room. And I sit there, give it a beat. And then I kind of say cut to my DP. Yeah. We keep the camera rolling while he's sort of unsettling it. And then he turns the camera off and then I go home. And so cut fast forward a couple of weeks, the same session I'm talking about where I was editing, getting this footage from Lee. Yeah. And I come to the part of wrapping this thing up and I wanted Eric to be the final voice in the thing. Mm-hmm. And cause it's really kind of his journey after it became, it started with Lee's and it became Eric's. Yeah. And at the end of it, I realized in reviewing the footage that we kept it rolling and you see Eric just with this moment of contemplation and it's almost like the like the whole the whole thing is settling within his heart in that moment in a way. Like he's just sort of staring off like after two intense days of silent night talk, being reunited with Lee Harry, being reunited with another co-star of his, and all shooting this short, stepping back into the shoes of Ricky. And then he has this moment where he's just sort of like, What? I think I finally get this. And you can see it happen on camera. And so on the disc. When you watch it to the end, the camera gets a little, you hear me say cut and the uh-huh. camera gets a little wobbly and then it cuts out. And I got yeah. several emails from people saying, Hey, you left this thing raw at the end. You didn't cut it right. And I'm like, no, I wanted, I wanted every second of that moment yeah. with Eric at the end because oh, it's such wow. a poignant moment. So that, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, one of the most invested projects for me that I got the most out of was Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. <laughs> <laughs> And then the other story that is real short is at the end yeah. of a sleepaway camp when I interviewed Felissa Rose and I asked her the oh, same wow. thing. Yeah. And she says, and then, and, and I end that documentary with this sentiment from her where she's, she pauses too. And she, and we, Felissa and I had known each other for years at this point. And so we were very comfortable with each other and she looks over at me and she starts crying and she says, it gave me everything. It gave me my family. It gave me my kids. It, 
it it really it gave me everything this little movie gave me my life and then she sort of looks off the same way and sort of nods and half smiles and puts a tissue to her eye and then I cut what a real moment right like what an incredibly powerful real moment wow oh man that is beautiful that is absolutely beautiful and that I mean, geez, like, I mean, how do how do you follow that? Like, that was, <laughs> oh man, that was that's that's just amazing. That is amazing that you get to do that sort of thing. That you get yeah. to be the spearhead to make it happen because of of your passion and wanting to make sure that all of these titles are given their due. Like that's that's something that that so many other studios, production companies, whatever, would just throw it out there as a bare bones maybe a trailer right. yeah but but that's 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 love that is love of this amazing medium and you're you're exactly the kind of person that needs to be doing this that would give that that sort of attention to silent night deadly night part two it's like it's easy to do that with citizen kane but <laughs> if you're gonna pull this off with silent night deadly night part two that is artistry right there I mean, it's all on these people. I mean, really. And that's, and that's the greatest thing of all is that at the end of the day, it's just capturing stories and and it's getting a chance to really just be a student in the lives of these people. And that's the greatest honor, man. That's the, that, that's the greatest reward and the greatest honor and being able to, when silent night two came out, I went and I had lunch with Lee Harry at yeah. my at my favorite Thai restaurant, Toy Thai on Sunset in Los Angeles. And uh, he walks in and he's like, so you got him, huh? And I'm like, yeah, we chit chatted a minute. And eventually it got around to, so you got him? I'm like, yeah. And I pull one out, he looks at it and he just goes, man, this I never thought would happen. Yeah. And, and it was just, you could just see him, like he flips it around. He's put the slip, the pulled the slip cover off the top, is looking at the inside. And he's just like shaking his head, like, I mean, a moment that he never thought would arrive. And then he watched the documentary eventually a few days later. And he said he and his wife, he texted me. I was about ready to fly out of town. And he texted me that he and his wife had just watched it. And he just had the kindest things. And that moment for me made every ounce of all of it. That alone was so worth it. And then since then, I've also developed this friendship with Eric too. And um, there's so many great things grow out of these it's incredible man it's just really incredible yeah i mean like it's it's the love of this medium it's the love of of these kinds of people that just that creates so many amazing things like this and and just to have stories like this told right here like that's that to me is just like is absolutely mind-blowing so with with everything you got like what would you recommend to those that are putting together their own Halloween playlists, what are some titles that you would say definitely put this, 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 this? Titles of the stuff that I've worked on or just like in general? In general, like uh, different, th- well, let's, we'll start with different things you've worked on and then we'll go to uh, in general. Oh, I don't know. I mean, if you want to see what I like to recommend for people are things that they probably haven't seen. Cause I could say all day, like, oh, go watch Halloween four. Well, you're probably yeah. going to watch Halloween four anyway. Right. Like I just earlier this year worked on Oliver Stone's The Hand. Have you ever seen The Hand? I've never seen The Hand. I know of it, but I've never seen it. It was the second film. 
he made one yeah. called Seizure, and then he, which was really an indie, and then he got hired to do The Hand. And this is while he was trying to get like uh, his other war films off the ground and very frustrated as a writer and as a director. And he made this thing in the midst of all this turmoil and our, his marriage was, had fallen apart. And it's, it's this uh, really emotional film that has, it's a really unexpected experience. And it offers some horror elements to it. Michael Caine gives a total powerhouse performance in this film and owns yeah. it. And I did, and I interviewed Oliver as one of the people on it, Oliver Stone. And he was talking oh, wow. very openly about how he was wrong to do some of the things he did in this movie, how he's like, I was really working through my marriage falling apart. I was working through myself, like the issues with myself. I was working through my issues with Vietnam. And he said, I, I shouldn't have done it in this way. I shouldn't have done it so publicly. And then after this film, he disappeared for a few years and just wrote and didn't really do anything for a while. And, but it's this really open discussion that I have with him on that, that helps me really appreciate that movie in a completely different way. So a recent release that I think not a lot of people probably have had the chance to check out would be The Hand. Mm -hmm. Another one that's a recent one that I did earlier, actually late last year, was Monster Go Home. And, oh, nice. And the that's a full-length uh, movie, right? Yeah. Yep. It's a feature-length yeah. movie and huge Monsters fan since I was a kid. And nice. And uh, as soon as the only like bigger monster fan that I know that is Rob Zombie. And so as soon as I got tabbed to do the monster go home, actually, it, it, I, I actually didn't even get hired for it. Let me correct myself. Yeah. It came up in conversation with one of the executives at, at shout factory. Oh yeah. We're also doing monster go home. I'm, I go, Whoa, wait, are there going to be any features <laughs> on this thing? And then they're like, no, we don't really have budget for any features. I'm like, I am telling you right now, I will be able to get Rob Zombie on this thing to talk nice. about this movie. And, and I can probably get Butch <laughs> Patrick. And they go, oh, sure. Well, if you can get them. And so like 20 minutes later, I text, <laughs> I text back. I'm like, so I texted Rob. He's in. I called Butch. Butch is in. We're doing it. So there's a commentary track on Monster Go Home where it's me and Rob geeking out over Butch Patrick being in the room with us. <laughs> and, and just like, everyone telling stories about what this show meant to them. And then Butch, of course, speaking to the production and the show. Yeah. And this is all even more relevant now because that track ultimately led to Rob doing this new Munsters film, which he's in the middle of right now. So that's, that's a good fantastic. one. That's a fun <laughs> one too. Mm -hmm. um, what else has come out recently? I mean, I, I don't know. But outside of that, a lot of my favorites are, I love the original Blob. I love, mm -hmm. I mean, that might be a little bit too easy to point to. Let me, let me actually look at my shelf and see what, what's striking me. <laughs> well, first of all, everyone should be tuning into whatever Joe Bob has happening on Shudder. I'm oh, a huge yeah. fan yeah. Of, of Last Drive-In, so that's definitely worth binging this, this time of the year. There's nothing out there. Have you seen that film? I, oh. haven't, I haven't heard of that one. That's, oh, my gosh. That's one that completely so, missed it predates Scream, but it's a self-referential kind of comedy horror thing. And nice. it's absolutely brilliant. Vinegar did a disc of it a few years ago. There's an old, older trauma DVD set that's out there too, but I can't recommend there's nothing out there highly enough. That movie's so much fun. Nice. And another sort of undercover gem. I love Blood Rage, Grizzly, mm -hmm. Christine. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Uh, my a couple friends of mine made this movie called Collapse, which is a zombie sort of head trip movie, which is really great. I love Excision, the Evil mm-hmm. Dead remake. I'm just looking at my shelf and calling out titles here. The Maniac remake <laughs> I thought was really great. Oh, with Elijah Wood, right? With Elijah Wood. Yep. Valentine. I'm a big Blanks fan. I mean, everything oh, yeah. he does. Yeah. The, the new Suspiria has one of the, I mean, it's a good movie, but also yeah. has one of the all-time great scores that's mm-hmm. ever been put together. I'm currently working on Krampus. And so I know oh, it's wow. a little early for that, but Krampus and Trick or Treat, the Michael Doherty double feature is an essential, I, I think, double bill. I dug the hell out of Krampus. I had so much fun with that. And, oh, it's amazing. You know, what the the opening montage had yeah. me howling like i <laughs> was so brilliant i was actually wanting to do something like that because i i worked at for two years i worked at top of the rock the observation deck at rockefeller center in new york city oh wow and i mean it was fabulous where else could, you can't get a better view of new york city and you're getting paid to be there like it right. was it was fabulous couldn't think of a better of a better send-off for being in New York and because I want to be in my last job there before my wife and I moved to St. Louis. But we, but I remember like looking at this chaos down on the, on the concourse area. Oh man. And it's like all these people that are coming out of radio city music hall and running over to the tree and everyone's bumping into each other. And there's just like madness. And I thought that exactly what I, what was done for that, for that montage (laughs) <laughs> at the beginning of Krampus, thinking using its beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So seeing that, realized it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. It set the perfect tone for that whole movie. It's brilliant. It really is brilliant. Yeah. And he and he has this gift. Michael is such a good dude. In fact, I just did an article. TV Guide brought me in to be their guest editor for the October issue of this magazine they have called Remind. It's like an entertainment nostalgia magazine. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I turned the whole issue into an all Halloween thing, all Halloween nice. series and brought in like Carpenter and David Gordon Green and Tommy Lee Wallace. And I had oh, a bunch perfect. of people from the heart of horror writing these articles and stuff. It was really, it turned out really wonderfully. But one of the pieces, because I'm working on Krampus and talking with Michael Doherty quite frequently, it came up that his office is in the Myers house in South Pasadena. Oh, he wow. actually, cause he's such a huge Halloween fan. he, he jumped at the opportunity when he got it. So I have this piece in there about him and his office space there that I visited. He even has his desk in the same place where Judith's bureau was in Halloween oh, wow. 1978. Like when Michael walks up the steps, that's how big a fan he is. But he has pulled the rare feat of conquering the, the best two contemporary holiday horror films. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anything's come out that's better than Trick or Treat that's strictly Halloween related since the original mm-hmm. Halloween. And yeah. in terms of Christmas horror, he, I mean, Krampus is it for me. I don't know how you could yeah. ever top Krampus as much as I love Christmas Evil, Silent Night, mm-hmm. Deadly Night, One and Two, and all these others. I'm a junkie for Christmas horror. I really am. Nice. But yeah. Krampus is such the a San- special thing. Santa Sleigh, too. That's, you know, that's oh, Santa Sleigh with Goldberg. Yeah, that, that's on my that's act. You asked about my dream list, my bucket list, that movie working on that is on that list. I would really? love to work on a release of that movie. I absolutely adore that film. Oh, God. I'm so I'm so glad I mentioned it, too. Now we can just kind of get it out there into the universe because <laughs> so, oh. that, that would be so much fun. I mean, just oh, yeah. for the, just just for the opening alone. Like yeah. that was that was just that was fantastic. 
that was <laughs> let me bring oh, in James Conn so for an interview on right Santa's sleigh. <laughs> like what, Dave? I mean, it, oh, it's just a who's who. It's so great, man. That that yeah. movie. And unfortunately, I don't know what the distribution situation is on it, but I don't think it's even in print anymore. And I don't yeah, know why one's, no one's picking it up. That thing would be, I think, a surefire home run for someone like oh, Vinegar yeah. Syndrome. That would fit in perfectly. Yeah, get, definitely bring in like the stop motion animators, the, the ones that did the whole Rankin Bass yeah. uh, style flashback, which was yeah. brilliant. With the curling. Absol- with the curling <laughs> of all things, curling. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Oh yep. God. Oh my God. Like we could, we could talk for like another two hours and everything, but I got just a couple more questions for you sure. for, for this. So, so save someone like yourself, like myself, who is so in love with these sort of special features and everything. And they want to, they want to go down that road. They want to, they want to get into this sort of content creation. What do you think would be the first step that they should do to make make their dream come true there really isn't a direct path into it i guess what i would recommend is creating a couple things on your own and Mm -hmm. then presenting them to a company like shout factory the good thing is the lines of communication now to companies distributors even filmmakers and everything they're really kind of they've been knocked down in a way not in not with a negative connotation at all yeah but saying you can easily get in touch with Shout Factory through their website or through social media or something. And whoever else you're looking at, if, if you, sh- what they want is people who will go the extra mile, do the work and be professional in how they handle themselves and how they handle things. And yeah. um, if you can, if you can do those things and you can show that, I, I mean, th- this is never going to end. There's no, yeah this isn't bound to any kind of media. It's not bound to physical. It's not bound to whatever, as much as I am a fan of physical media and still buy discs and everything and mm-hmm. will as long as I can. Yeah. This, this is always going to be relevant. So it's really mm-hmm. just documentary filmmaking. And I would say, create some things on your own, make some show pieces and send mm-hmm. them some places with a professional approach. Outside of that, I would say I'm, I feel what really helped me get wheels in this was writing for the magazines for all those years because yeah you get used to dealing with people who are in the industry who can often have kind of up and down all over the place schedules and they may have layers of representation you get used to you, you learn the ropes of how to how to talk with these different segments of folks to try to get these people on board and then exploring the content through writing is a deeply personal way to do it where you're not restricted yeah. to just what's on your hard drive or whatever. I mean, you're, it's a completely open playing field and you can go as wide as you want. And so I, it's almost like when people want to learn an instrument, a lot of band teachers, most all would say, learn piano first. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a huge uh, proponent of learn of, of writing, of doing some feature writing, to start exploring the background on these things, getting your feet wet with research and then learning the mechanics of how to communicate with folks and get stuff scheduled and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And where can, where can uh, my listeners find you on social media? Just look for my, everything's under my name, Justin Mm -hmm. Beam, B-E-A-H-M. My company, Mm -hmm. Reverend Entertainment, it has it's kind of like really just placeholder pages, at least for the time being, because I just put everything on my own. So yeah. if you look up Reverend Entertainment, you'll find those as well. And I think they just point to my personal pages. And also mm-hmm. my website is just justinbeam.com. And I have 
every time something's announced, I always get it up there immediately. And I also have a sort of newsletter thing you can sign up for on there. So every time I post, it'll send you an email to let you. Nice, nice, nice. I hope that all of you take the initiative, go ahead and sign up with Justin Beam's newsletter and be just get yourself involved in all of all of this wonderment that's going on right now, because everything that's happening, it's all happening because people like Justin have the passion to see it through. And so I hope that all of you who are listening are feeling that same amount of passion for movies like this can can take the take the initiative and show your own passion for them because you never know where they're going to wind up being. So for Justin Bean, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.